Amen. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Claire. Great song. Great job. Uh, I think people sometimes think that they are saying no to a preacher or to a church when someone preaches the Word of God, when in reality, uh, you're not rejecting me or this church. If it's the Word of God, you're rejecting Christ. Amen? Go ahead. If you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and get to Psalm 38. If you don't have a Bible with you, there'll be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. It'll be in the chair in front of you. We'll be on page 443. Page 443 in that Bible, Psalm uh, 38. Appreciate Brother Joe uh, filling in for me last Sunday morning on uh, short notice. And uh, our policy, I think, has been good. But as time goes on and as a society and a culture, we become more aware of the real side effects of shots and COVID and all that, you know, we may have to think about changing that. But that's what it is for now. And um, I'm glad we're not in that season anymore. Crazy. Uh, We've been working our way in Sunday mornings uh, through a series of messages on great truths communicated with simple words. Profound things, of course, are best understood uh, by most of us when they are communicated through the vehicle of simplicity. When complex things are communicated with difficult words, they are often misunderstood and at times not understood at all. So what God does is He makes sure that the things that are most important to Him are communicated to us simply. In fact, He often repeats them at times for additional emphasis and clarity. And so at this point, many, many months ago, from a list of 916 916 verses in our Bible where every word in the verse other than a name or a number is a one-syllable word. I prayerfully put together our Sunday morning series. Two Sunday mornings ago when I spoke last, we talked about the immutability of God, how that God never has and never will change. In the simplest terms, God makes sure we understand He has not changed any of His promises. He has not changed his character. The God of the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament. He is the same today, 2,000 years uh, following the New Testament, and he will be the same a million years from now. He is an immutable God. We talked about Jesus Christ being the same yesterday, today, and forever in his gospel, and his compassion being just as real today as when he spoke of them prior to his cross and after his resurrection. We talked about the importance of passing on the same key things to the next generation because we have an immutable God and an immutable book. And then we closed talking about the importance of building as much consistency into our own character and our own faith as possible because part of godliness, being like God, is to be consistent. And we rejoice together in a changeless creator. He and everything he ever said is trustworthy because he is an immutable God. Now, as we use the word hope today, hope is a feeling of expectation or desire for something good that might or might not happen. In fact, as time has gone on, the word hope in our particular culture has kind of come to be similar to our word wish, wishing for something to happen. Now, more serious students of the Bible have come to understand that God uses some words a little differently than we use them today. 
In fact, we need to understand and embrace how God uses words if we're going to better understand the Bible. In fact, the Bible uses the word conversation, our words over the course of time, like we use the word behavior. It uses the word meat, M-E-A-T, like we would use the word food. It uses the word corn, like we would use the word grain. It uses the word should, like we would use the word shall. And these of course, are not errors in the Bible. Uh, They are challenges to those who want to grow from mostly understanding what God has said to completely understanding what God has said. Now at times, like those examples I use, they are because English has changed since God translated the only perfect, complete English Bible in 1611, but other times it is not related to the way English has changed. See, God uses the word hope in the Bible differently than we do. In fact, he uses the word hope in the Bible differently than it has been used in English at any time that I'm aware of. The oldest American English dictionary was written by Noah Webster in 1828, and it says of hope that it is a desire of some good accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it or a belief that is obtainable. You see, even back then, the word hope was not linked with a sure thing. It was linked with something that might or might not happen. You see, the way the Bible uses the word hope is the desire of some future good that is based on some promise of God that will happen. See, biblical hope is not just a wish. Biblical hope is not just a desire for something good that might or might not happen. Biblical hope is the expectation and desire for something good that God promised will happen. There's a story told about a passenger on a small cruise ship who was enduring some rough seas and the passenger was leaning over the rail. His face was a shade of green and one of the well-meaning crew members came up to encourage him, and he just looked at this sick passenger. He said, don't be discouraged, sir. No one's ever died of seasickness. The nauseous passenger looked at the smiling crew member with some disdain, and he said, don't tell me that. Dying was the only thing that kept me going through all of this. (laughs) Are you hopeful this morning? Do you have hope? If you have hope, in what or who is your hope? What kind of hope, if any, is there for the future? Those are good questions, amen? Amen. If you're able to stand this morning, if you stand please in honor of God's word, the title of my thought today is the hope we have in Christ. The hope we have in Christ. Psalm 38, we begin in the word of God in verse 11 where it says, my lovers and my friends uh, stand aloof from my sore. By the word lovers there is not like that's used in our culture. This is referring to people who loved him, not immoral relationships. Verse 11, my lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me. They that seek my hurt speak mischievous things. And imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not. 
and I was as a dumb man that opened not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. Thank you, you might be seated. See, Psalm 38, according to the introduction, it says a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. Remember, the titles of the psalms are a part of the text. They're not a part of a study Bible commentary. Psalm 38 is attributed to David like 72 other psalms. More psalms came from the pen and the heart of David than any other human author. Uh, God chose to inspire, uh, to preserve 150 inspired psalms. If you're looking for worship music as God intended to be worship, we ought to be looking to the Psalms that are filled with content and doctrine and what the psalmist was going through and the character of God. They're not characterized by repetition or, you might say, vain repetition. Like many other Psalms, David is struggling. In this particular case, he's struggling with being disciplined by his heavenly Father. Let's look at verse 1. It says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin." For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As an heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. See, David is being disciplined. By the way, our Heavenly Father disciplines every true believer who ignores His warnings and willfully defies His commandments. If you're a Christian, a true Christian, and think you're actually getting away with something, you're either not a true Christian or it's just early in the discipline process of our loving Father. By the way, in like manner, uh, according to the Scriptures, every godly father disciplines his children for their own good. But when God disciplines, understand that His goal is never to break or destroy us like Satan's goal when he messes in our life. God's goal in discipline is to further shape us into the image of Jesus Christ and to keep us from things in life that will bring pain in our future or the future of those who love us. In fact, if you're here this morning and you can live a life that is willfully and purposely disobedient to Jesus Christ and not be disciplined by our Heavenly Father, you need to get saved. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 very clearly says this, He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. It's not our lesson today, but I want to just pause and thank God that He has enough interest in our life to discipline us when we are headed for things that are going to hurt us. Amen. By the way, I'm also glad we have a Heavenly Father who's interested in repentant sinners of all sorts. Amen. If you're a prodigal and away from God, listen, our Father has open arms to your repentance. If you've never come to Christ, you're not a son, you're not a child of God. If you would humble yourself, you could come to God and He would receive you. Now in the text we read earlier, David feels alone as he faces this discipline and whatever willful defiance of God brought 
God's displeasure in verse 11. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore. My kinsmen stand afar off. All of us feel alone at times. Many of us, including myself, can feel alone in a crowd. We can feel alone among family and friends. I mean, understand one of the greatest tactics of the spiritual adversary of our God is to isolate the people of God. To make us feel like we have no one. In fact, some of the worst decisions people make are made because they're lonely. And at this particular point, David felt like none of his family, none of his friends, none of the people who loved him were close enough to him to understand what he was going through and feeling. In fact, when we go through times like that, if we're not careful, we will not only make bad decisions, we will become cynical and wrongly conclude that there isn't anybody that cares for us when that's not true. Now, as a faithful believer and a prominent figure, David, not surprisingly, he had enemies who wanted him gone and talked behind his back. Verse 12, he, he says, they also that seek after my life lay snares for me. And they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. By the way, Satan has always used both careless believers and unbelievers to discourage his people with the things they say. Satan has always found willing pawns, both in the church, the workplace, and in our family, and everywhere we might be to say things that are hurtful because Satan hates God and he hates any good that God is doing in our world. David, though, while this was going on, at least had the good sense to recognize what was going on and he did not allow himself to be pushed further down this road to destruction through his loneliness. In fact, he refused to let what they were saying be his focus in verse 13 and 14, he says, but I, as a deaf man, heard not. I was of a dumb man that opened not his mouth. Thus I was a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. You see, if you and I focus on those who say unkind things, instead of on those who have something good to say, we'll always be more discouraged than we need to be. If you and I focus on those who are trying to bring us down instead of those who support us and stand with us and hold us up, we'll always be more discouraged than we need to be. Thank God, David, at this point, though this was all going on, he was living under the discipline of God. He felt alone from an earthly standpoint. His enemies were using this difficulty to try to get at him. Thankfully, David had enough sense that instead of looking around, he chose to look up. He had the good sense to look beyond his circumstances and beyond the people Satan was using to try to hurt and discourage him further. He looked up and he found his hope in Jehovah his God. Verse 15, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. And though David had sinned in a significant enough way to bring God's discipline in his life, he hadn't lost his faith. He was still looking to the Lord. His hope was still in God. 
Though people who wanted David out of the way were trying to trap him and speaking slanderous things about him, he still knew that God was listening when he called out to God. His hope was in God. And so in the simplest terms, all one-syllable words, God through David makes sure we know there's always hope in God. Did you hear it? In verse 15, for in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. You see, David desired and expected something from God that his friends and family couldn't provide. He had some promises from God. He knew God would never leave him or forsake him. He knew God in the midst of wrath would remember mercy. He had some promises that God would fully restore fellowship to him when he would humble himself and confess his sins and pray. David had hope in God. He knew God had a life for David after his life here was done. He knew God would wash away his sins when he confessed his sins and offered that blood sacrifice and that paradise would eventually be his home when his days on earth were over. David had hope in God. David's hope wasn't in doctors. It was not in politicians. It was not in his family. It was not in his friends. Thank God for them when they're there, when we need them. But ultimately, they will fail at times. We need to have our hope in God. No matter who you are this morning, no matter how dark the valley in which you find yourself, there's hope in God. If you're in the tunnel and cannot yet see the light at the end of the tunnel, there's hope in God. Psalm 42.5 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise Him who is the help of my countenance. If the doctors have no more that they can do, if you have no idea what's going to happen to you and your job, and you have no idea what tomorrow holds for you and your family, let me just say to you this morning, there's hope in God. That's why seven verses after 42.5 in Psalm 42.11, he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. And though none of us like to face it, being helpless and facing hopelessness is a part of life in a world that is broken by sin, and sinners, and Satan, and ourselves. Martin Pistorius, and can you stick his picture up there? He was 12 years old when a mysterious illness began to slowly rob him of his ability to walk, talk, and communicate. At 12 years old, he descended into a vegetative state. His parents were told to take their son home because his time life was limited. For the next three years, Martin was in a coma-like state, motionless, unresponsive, and utterly unconscious. But at the age of 16, his mind began to slowly wake up. He was fully conscious at the age of 19. Unfortunately, his mind was the only thing that began to awaken. His caregiver 
Verna Vanderwald, after three years, noticed that he could move his eyes and respond. For 10 years, he could not move anything on his body but his eyes. And he was fully conscious. His parents learned that he had a rare neurological disorder called locked-in syndrome. Slowly, Martin began to increasingly regain the use of his upper body. He was married at the age of 34 in 2009. A few years ago, in 2018, he and his wife had their first child. Today he's a college graduate. He enters wheelchair races. He co-wrote his autobiography called Ghost Boy. And in his book, he describes what it was like to not be able to move anything but his eyes, but be fully consciously aware. Here's how he described it. Claustrophobic, terrifying, and he feared that he'd go insane. Listen, I hope none of us face that kind of hopelessness in life. But know this, there is a God who is the God of all hope. There's a God for whom nothing is impossible. There's a God who has made great and precious promises on which we build our hope both for today and for the future. Listen, the valleys of life are tough and difficult and dark at times. The tunnel before the light sometimes seems like it is so far away. But I want to just say to you this morning, there is always hope in our God. And what I'd like to do this morning is preach for a couple of minutes make some applications and observations about hope in God, who in the simplest terms makes known His hope to us. Please, if you would, next turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, here's number 1. If you do not yet have Jesus Christ in your life, you have no hope in what will happen to you when you die. If you do not have Jesus Christ in your life, you have no hope in what will happen when you die. Notice in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. Notice this description of how they were before Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, now that they're believers, but now in Christ Jesus, Ye who were sometime were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. See, Paul describes the Gentile believer's condition prior to coming in faith to faith in Christ as having no hope and without God in this world. You see, God doesn't just matter when we die. Now, when we die, our relationship with God matters most. But understand, uh, it is a terrible thing to go through life without God. 
And these Gentiles, they were not part of the Jewish uh, heritage. They were not a part of the promises God made to Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were, well, they were strangers from the covenant of promise. Listen, their condition prior to Jesus Christ was without hope and without God. You may have some kind of hope in your health. You may have some kind of hope in your friends and your family. But without Christ in your life, you have no hope in eternity, and you are without God in the world. We read how that it all changed from them being without hope and without God in the world in verse 13 where they were made nigh, drawn close to God by the blood of Jesus Christ when they chose to believe on Him. See, their faith in the shed blood, death, and resurrection of Jesus gave them sure hope in this life and in the next life. You may have some kind of hope in science. You may have hope in the medical profession. You may have some kind of hope in your abilities. You may have some hope in your youthfulness. But without Christ in your life, you have no hope in eternity, and you are without God in the world as you sit here today. There's no hope in any church for eternal life. Don't think for a moment that someday when you face God to give an account of your life, you say, well, I attended Bible Baptist Church, that that's going to get you uh, through the pearly gate into the golden city. It will not. Amen. There's no hope in you earning eternal life through your good works. You may think that someday when you face God, you're going to look at God and say, well, God, I was so much better than these hypocrites. I was so much better than such and so. I did this. I did that. I want to just say, when it comes to salvation, your righteousnesses and mine are filthy rags. But there is now true hope for eternal life of good things made sure by the promises of God through Jesus Christ. Paul described Christ in us as, quote, the hope of glory in Colossians 1.27. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1.3 speaks of the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul describes us as having, quote, everlasting consolation and good hope through grace in 2 Thessalonians 2.16. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever been truly saved? I'm not asking if you're a Baptist. I'm not asking if you prayed some prayer at some point in time in your life that left your heart unchanged. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, is Jesus Christ in your life? Have you been born again? Do you have a relationship with God through Christ? Have you humbled yourself to receive Him? You see, God's plan for salvation is purposely designed to be simple. It's designed to be simple that someday, on Judgment Day, no human being will ever look at Jehovah God, our Creator, and say, I did not understand. The way to eternal life was too complicated. And though churches and some Christian people may make complex that which God has made simple, God made it easy for you and I to live forever. You say, what did God say that I needed to do to live forever? He said, first admit your guilt. Amen. Listen, it is not a profession of faith to sit at your table at seven and say, I love God. That's not a profession of faith. 
No one seeks a Savior who does not first acknowledge that they're a sinner. That's why God said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one gets saved who doesn't first admit their guilt. So what do I need to do? I get it, Brother Wally. I am guilty. I have lied. And God said, don't lie. I have taken things. And God said, don't steal. I have used God's name vainly. And God said, don't take my name in vain. Uh, what, what, what do I need to do next? Well, you need to realize what Jesus did next. Uh, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life. He shed His blood and died on the cross for your sins. And God very simply said that if we would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we'd be saved. That if we would confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. By the way, that's the information of the gospel. Satan believes all the information of the gospel. It is not just in knowing and believing the information of the gospel that makes you saved. What makes you saved is to know and believe the information of the gospel and then choose to humble yourself to call on Christ. You see, everybody within the sound of my voice, whether you're here this morning or listening by some other means, when you are made, uh, is made aware like you just were of what you need to do to really be saved, you are going to make a choice. You are either going to humble yourself and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and just decide, you know what? I'm done trusting the church. I'm done trusting my baptism. I'm done trusting my good works. I'm done trusting a prayer I prayed 30 years ago that never changed my life. I'm done trusting those vain things, I choose to humble myself and trust Jesus. Or you'll proudly make some excuse for saying no, like they sang about this morning, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you need to be saved this morning? Listen, being a disciple is difficult. We have a cross to take up. But being saved is easy Jesus paid it all. Do you need to be saved this morning? In fact, in just a few moments, we'll have what we call here an invitation. And all that means is that we invite you to personally respond to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're saved this morning, but you're not living with the full assurance of hope of New Testament hope that Christ belongs to you and you belong to Him and without a shadow of a doubt, though you don't know how you will get to death because that is unknown, when you get to death, you're going to be fine because of Christ. But it's not just that hope for eternal life is available through salvation, confident assurance that heaven is our future home. Now, number two, please go in your Bible to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Not only, number one, is there no hope, and you are without God in this world if you have not humbled yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Number two, there's a kind of hope believers have in life because God has made some promises to us. Romans 15.4 is actually one of my favorite New Testament verses because it reminds me of the purpose of the Scriptures in my life as a Christian. 
Romans 15.4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. See, the focus of our message is preaching Christ. The first message our world needs to hear is the Gospel. But the Bible is not all about the Gospel unless you are going to redefine the word Gospel. The gospel of Christ is our first message to the world. That Jesus Christ came. That He suffered. That He shed His blood on the cross for our sins. That He rose again after three days. And that anyone who calls upon Him would be saved. Uh, That is the gospel. But understand, there's a lot more to the Bible than the gospel. Though it is our first message. The things that were written are written for our learning. You see, the Bible is written so you and I might learn what our Creator is like. So that you and I might learn what happened in our world to make it the way it is today. So so that you and I might learn what our Creator wants from our life and and what kinds of things anger Him. By the way, if you have a God who is never angry, you have an idol God. I-D-O-L. Not I-D-L-E like many of you are. These things were written for our learning. To learn what faithful followers of Jehovah did and didn't do and how God blessed their life. It's written for our learning so we might learn what those who did not have faith in Jehovah and what happened in their life when they chose not to follow the precepts of God. It's written for our learning. So we might learn what kind of things our Creator prophesied would happen in the last days. Listen, all over this room and all over American Christendom are people who are just worried, well, I don't know what's going to happen in America next. I don't know what's going to happen in the world next. Neither do I, but you know what? It's going to be all right. I get so sick and tired of whining preachers. Whining Christians. Oh, it's so bad out there. It's so bad out there. If I was a young couple, I wouldn't even have kids. Oh, please be quiet. So we might learn what things our Creator promised to believers. That that you and I might, might know what conditions those promises rest upon. Listen, all this learning from the Scriptures is told to us to give us patience. Amen? We need some of that. Comfort in a world that is so troubled. And so that we might live our Christian life with hope. Confident assurance in good things God promised. You know, this morning I have a common assurance I'm going to go to heaven. At 24 years of age, as a guilty sinner, I humble myself to call on Christ. I have this morning a common assurance about life. I have hope in this life because of the promises of God. Hey, hey, listen. I know because I love Christ and I'm trying to fulfill His will in my life, I know that all things in my life will work together for good. I get it that not each individual event in itself may seem good in itself, but God somehow takes the 
sum total of the events He allows in our life, and He's working them for our good. Listen, I know that when I fail God, and, and listen, uh, I had a couple times this week I, I failed Him and was very disappointed in myself. I, I, I want to tell you, He never left me, never forsook me, because He promised that He would never leave me or forsake me. Listen, God is not looking down and saying, well, well, that person's faithful, I'll, I'll love them. That person's doing this instead of doing that, uh, I, I'll love them. Listen, God is love and He loves us regardless of what we do. And if you're a Christian, you can have great hope in life. The positive, confident assurance in life because of Christ. I could go on and on about God's promises to us. They give us hope in life. A confident assurance that everything's going to be okay. Not that it might or might not be okay. It will be okay. So Brother Wally, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, I know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what's between here and how it's going to turn out. Amen? Are you looking and living with hope today? Confident assurance everything's going to be okay. Are you a whiner? Listen, if you're a whiner, you're not living with a confident assurance of hope. You can. But it's not just that I have hope in life because of the great and precious promises of God to me for this life. Lastly, this morning, go in your Bible to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. You say, Brother Wally, I hate it when you come back from missing a week because you're wound up. Yeah, I am. Uh, By the way, I thank God for the people that make our live stream work. Uh, Because I could not be here, it was a blessing to me. But let me just say, uh, for anybody who's listening live stream but could have came I feel bad for you I really do as you've heard me say so many many times you can look at a fireplace on your screen but you don't feel any warmth until you're near the real one I said first if you don't have Christ in your life you are living with no hope what will happen to you in eternity. I said, secondly, that you have hope in this life because of the promises of God. And lastly, this morning, there is a blessed hope for believers in the imminent return of Christ. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and normally we read verses 11 and 12, and I link them to what the grace that saves us teaches us about how we should behave as believers. There's a lot of lies going on about what grace is today. And the grace of God that saves us teaches us a way to live. But today, I'm not going to pause on what we normally pause on with these scriptures. We're going to read one scripture more. And Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Notice what the grace of God that appears to all men teaches us teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, 
By the way, that means you ought to throw out a lot of stuff that's in your refrigerator. Righteously and godly in this present world. We, we talked about that lots of times. But verse 13, notice also we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. See, this morning, we think about the blessed hope of Christ appearing in the clouds for us. Hear me this morning when I say we are not here this morning waiting for Antichrist to sign a peace covenant with Israel. We're not waiting for signs of the times. We're not waiting for the technology to be available for the mark of the beast, though it already is. We're not waiting for the breathless bones of Israel in their land to be spoken to by the Spirit of God to bring life to them and have Israel restored. We're not waiting for that. We are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says in James 5, 9, the judge is today standing at the door to return. That's why today we read in Philippians 4, 5, the Lord is at hand. That's why in Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, in the next to the last verse of the entire New Testament, for the third time, Jesus says His very last words to us, surely I come quickly. So what are you looking for? The fulfillment of the last words Jesus said. Suddenly, without warning, He appears. It's a glorious appearing. I think sometimes we fail because we look forward to His return because we want to be rescued from our problems in life. Christ's return will rescue us from our problems in life. But can I tell you, there's a better reason to be looking for his return? We're going to see him as he is. We shall ever be with the Lord. (laughs) Can you not feel the excitement of Gabriel speaking up? the voice of the archangel. Can you not feel the excitement of the sound of the trumpet? Can you not feel the excitement of the Lord Jesus Christ shouting, come up hither. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just like that, wherever a true believer is, they will meet the Lord in the air and ever be with the Lord. That is our blessed hope. And if you're not saved, you will be left behind. By the way, if you think for a moment that the Sunday after the rapture, there won't be anybody show up at Bible Baptist Church, you will be mistaken. I don't pretend to know who will be left behind. The Bible says the Lord knoweth them that are His. I think far too often we think we know. When in reality, the only person we really know about is ourselves. Christ is in my heart. Let me ask you this morning, are you struggling with the deterioration of our society or your own body? We have a blessed hope in Christ's return. Are you struggling with the pain of your own sins or the sins of those close to you have brought in your life? 
believers in Jesus have a blessed hope in His sudden and certain return in the clouds for us. And though Satan and people around us and our, only fle- our own flesh at times cause us to lose hope, I say to you this morning, lift up your eyes for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Every believer has a choice to make. We can live with a sure and certain hope for tomorrow because of God's promises. Or God will allow you to live defeated, focused on difficulties and problems, and lose hope because you refuse to lift your eyes up for the blessed hope. And God helping me, and I encourage you as well, I want to live my life with great hope, the blessed hope. I want the people who know me well to not think to themselves, oh no, here he comes. I wonder what he's griping about today. Wonder what he's going to unload on me this time. I want them to see somebody with faith in Christ and great hope for today and tomorrow because of who he is and what he's given. Amen? Amen. If you quietly stand, bow your heads and close your eyes. Sorry.